This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. This is our podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Leslie Bennett. And today, we're breaking protocol to talk to a leader who really isn't a Church for the Rest of Us kind of a leader, Leslie. Yeah, most people probably wouldn't think that North Point Community Church is our target audience, but that is actually less interesting to me than the fact that today's guest is actually related to you. True. We're talking to Clay Scroggins, lead pastor of North Point Community Church and first cousin to Jimmy Scroggins. I mean, I really have a whole separate list of questions that I'm going to ask Clay today Let's that you don't just, know about. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to that. And I'm sure you do have those questions, but especially we're going to talk to Clay who wrote the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And there is a lot to talk about on this subject. So let's go to our interview with the one and only Clay Scroggins. Hey, Clay, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Why don't you tell us about your family, how you got connected to North Point, and about your current role there in that church? Sure. First of all, let me say, Jimmy, I'm a long-time listener. <laughs> First-time caller. caller. So, I, knew you're, uh, I knew where you were headed right there. <laughs> I can't say I'm a long-time listener, but I have listened to a number of the podcasts from Church for the Rest of Us, and way to go on creating helpful content for all of us. Thank you. Yeah, my family, I uh, met my wife, Jenny, in Dallas, Texas, at Dallas Theological Seminary. I graduated from Georgia Tech and studied engineering there, and I told them, if you will let me out and give me a degree, I will promise you I will never use it. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping that promise. That's right. That was the agreement that we made. So uh, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, met my wife, Jenny, there. We uh, got married, and 2006, we've got five kids, nine, seven, five, three, and one, and they are all, for the most part, happy and healthy, which is awesome. So, and beautiful, uh, too, all of them. We're having a blast. Hey, tell us about how you got connected with North Point Community Church. Yeah, so when I was in college, I was Georgia Tech from downtown Atlanta, uh, North Point's out in the burbs a bit, it's about 20 minutes north of the city. And I had started attending here, and actually, Jimmy, it was a conversation with you. It was Christmas break. That's where I was trying to get to. Go ahead. (laughs) Give him the credit. (laughs) Unroll that. I'm serious. 1998. So what is that? That's 20, yeah, right at 20 years ago. Yeah. I told you I was was a part of, I was coming to church, and you said, what are you doing there? And I'm like, well, I mean, I'll just go. And you said, well, you need to get involved to the point where when you're not there, somebody knows you're not there. Hmm. And I said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So the next Sunday, this is probably like now we're in January of 99, and I go tell, I had my speech ready to go be a student volunteer, and they didn't even listen to my speech. They just signed me up, which was awesome. And then they made me stand <laughs> on the back wall for about four months. Yep. Because we were, we were at that stage in a, that it, sometimes a new church has where we had more we had more volunteers than we had students at the time. <laughs> <So> <laughs> there you go. Student ministry is tough for new churches, and it was tough for us, too, in those early days. So anyway, I, uh, I became a volunteer. I led a group of high school students from ninth through 12th grade, and 
uh, when they graduated. I was supposed to graduate, but I, I, had, I, I decided that I, I, I didn't quite have physics two under my belt like I wanted to have it. So I took an extra lap around and, tried, <laughs> That's good. Uh, and then moved, uh, moved to Dallas shortly after that, became a seminary student. And I started working at North Point just after school. And I was a high school pastor for five years. My claim to fame is I had uh, I had all three of Andy's Andy Stanley's high school students. All three of his kids were in our student ministry when I was the high school pastor. So well, I didn't know that. That's it awesome. Make break it. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was either going to go really well or that was going to be a lot of, of my heat. ministry career. So right. But they're great parents, so it went really well, and I ended up becoming a campus pastor. I led our northmost campus for about four years, and I've been at North Point now for. A little over four years. Well, Clay, that's an incredible journey. Now, I want to ask something that probably some of our listeners are wondering. What is it like to lead when you're not in charge, and yet the person that is in charge is a larger-than-life leader like Andy Stanley? Yeah. I would imagine, Jimmy, if you go ask your staff the same question, they'd probably give you They'd probably be able to answer that question as well, working for, oh, yeah. working for you with this no question. thriving network You know what? Why didn't I just ask one of them? <laughs> no, I mean, there's, obviously there's a lot of great things that come with it. I mean, I I feel like the, the platform that I have to be able to write about leadership content or to be able to speak about church, the church world, I mean, it's because Andy's church famous. And so there's a lot of perks that come to that But there's a lot of pressure, too. I mean, he, you know, high-caliber leaders have high expectations. Right. And he certainly does. I mean, my, my probably my one of my hardest war stories working with him is he is passionate about communication, mm-hmm. and he's passionate about preaching. So this one particular week, I had preached a message. You know, everybody who preaches on a regular basis knows what this is like, but I had preached a message where something, I, I knew it was wrong after the 9 o'clock service. I, I didn't know enough about what was wrong to be able to fix it by the 11th. So the frustrating thing is not being able to identify it, but then having to preach the same bad sermon over again. And then I ended up preaching again at 5 o'clock. So I, the next morning I woke up, my wife says, I'm telling her about it. She's like, why don't you just ask Andy to help you figure it out? And I was like, oh, it's a great idea. So I sent him the email, said, hey, here's my outline, here's the talk. He said, hey, why don't you just come out my office tomorrow afternoon? So I swing by his office. He sits me down. He's got a he's got a sheet of paper that had a bunch of notes on it that he had already printed out that was sitting in front of him. And he's just going through them. And it's like minute by minute. You know, he's like, you know, minute one, interesting. Minute two, still interesting. But now you're losing me. Minute three, now I don't even think you're making sense. Uh, minute <laughs> okay. four. And, it, and he's just like, and, and he's digging in. And it's like 10 minutes. I'm just sitting there. And so I start feeling sorry for myself going, do you, in my mind, is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, do you know how hard it is to preach on the same stage that you preach on? And so I just, I guess my uh, patience wore thin, and I just blurted it out. I said, do you know how hard it is to preach after you? And he didn't even miss a beat, and he responds and says, I want it to be hard to preach after you. (laughs) (laughs) I think at the time, I either wanted to, like, get under the table and cry or, you know, or confront him physically but you know after i look back on it now i mean it's a you know it, i can appreciate the belief that he has shown in me but also that he's given me way far too many opportunities that he should have given me but it's uh i mean i would say it's, it's the reason why i'm still in the job that i'm in is because it's a it's he's a great person to work for he's a great boss and he's a great leader and he's a he's an exceptional man of character which is uh, makes him easier to follow 
And, you know, Clay, I, I just enjoyed watching the journey on this over 20 years and watching you start out as a youth ministry volunteer. And Andy Stanley didn't know who in the world you were to becoming his kid's youth pastor to becoming a, a really a high level, high capacity leader and a, and a regular uh, part of the teaching team there at North Point. And I've just seen Andy invest in you and continue to believe in you. And he saw something in you really early on. And I think when you when you talk about leading when you're not in charge for him to see that in you and then for you to be able to sustain that kind of working relationship over decades is is really, really incredible. Yeah, and I think to your point, Clay, earlier, I would say that all of those characteristics do apply to your cousin, Jimmy. He is a great boss, a great Thank leader, you, uh, a great person of character. So, Just like Andy Stanley, Clay. Just like him. So how would you, for people like myself or anybody in our organization who isn't at the top of the org chart, how can people like us develop our own gifts under great leaders like you've worked for? Yeah, when I read that question, I th- the first thing I thought about was uh, this story that I've heard. I mean, it's almost like a fable now, and I, I, I would assume it's true, but maybe it's been embellished over the years, but it's about Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. He, they're, it's in the, in the 80s, and they're not growing as fast as their team wanted to grow, and Boston Market was really growing and moving into the Atlanta area and starting to – stores were popping up everywhere, and they're having this big debate in their boardroom about why they weren't growing fast enough. And supposedly Truett Cathy, who's sitting at the end of the table, starts banging the table saying, listen, we're asking the wrong question. We're asking the question, how can we get bigger? And we need to be asking the question, how can we get better? Because if we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. And I thought about that story in light of this question of what can we do when we're not the senior leader to start exercising our gifts and developing our gifts? And I think that what, what hit me and really what prompted me to write this book was no one is fully in charge, but, but everyone is in charge of something. So you and I, Leslie, have got to figure out, well, what am I in charge of and how can I make what I'm in charge of the best that it can possibly be? I, I call it an oasis of excellence. If you're a student pastor, how can you create the most excellently run, organized, thought through, vision-centric student organization or student ministry or student department? On the planet, I mm-hmm. mean, if you're if you're the facilities manager, how can you create the cleanest, most excellently run facility? And that you might feel like, well, that's beneath me. I should be leading more than that. But you know, I think Jesus is the one who said, "Hey, if you can be trusted with a little, you'll be trusted with a lot. And if you can be responsible for a little, you'll be you'll you'll be given a lot more authority in life." And so, I think the key is to figure out, well, what am I in charge of, and how can I how can I make the best out of what I'm working on. And then what I just learned in life is that if you're wanting more opportunity, instead of being frustrated about the lack of opportunity, why don't you just, if you would get better, then maybe you would get bigger. Maybe you would have more opportunity. Maybe the stages or maybe the team or the responsibilities would would start to grow. But it's not, it's not going to grow until you and I get better. So I think that's the place to start is to look in the mirror and go, hey, what can I do to, to get better? Well, Clay, I think one of the challenges is when, you know, and I've, I've worked for some great bosses as well. And one of the challenges is you're, you have this responsibility and this, this desire to steward and grow your own gifts and your own talents and your own opportunities. And yet when you work in an organization and you serve a leader, you have to be loyal about serving kind of the goals and the vision of your, of your boss. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of inner conflict that emerges when we're trying to do those two things? I have sensed this. I mean, I have 
felt this numerous times. And to steal from something Andy has said to me, he said, hey, I want you to be here as long as your personal ambition can fit within the realm of our organizational ambition. And whenever it can't, whenever your personal ambition is bigger than our organization's ambition, then that probably means that you need to move on. So he does a great job of letting people have space to be able to create their own thing. As long as it fits within the confines, as long as it doesn't grow to become bigger than what the what the church is about. So, you know, for me, I mean, I've had to decide, hey, what I do on uh, during work hours, what I do for my day job, what my main role work-wise in life is, that's got to be the main thing. And so I've got to keep it priority in my heart. I've got to keep it priority on my calendar. I've got to keep it priority in the things that I talk about. And if I can do that, and I'm pretty, I try to be really open with my boss about it. So I, I talk about, hey, you know, here are the places that I'm going to speak. Do any of these look off to you? Are you okay with these? Here are the, th- you know, here, here's an opportunity to have to go meet with this leader. Here's an opportunity that I, I pursued to go take this class or to go go to this conference. I mean, I, I try to be as open as possible and to try to hold everything with open hands because ultimately what is most important to me work-wise is what I'm doing at North Point Community Church. So as long as I'm in this role, that's got to be what's, that's got to be what's priority to me. I mean, the way I think about it is, you know, none of us are in the job we're going to be in forever. I mean, everybody, you know, probably everyone, you know, I don't 98% of people listening to this podcast are going to move on to another role at some point in their life. And you get to decide right now, I think, how do you want people to respond when they hear that you're moving on? Do you want them to be, surprised by that or do you want them to go yeah we kind of knew you know he was never really she was never really invested there and for me I want to be so bought in I want to be so connected to what's most important here that when the day comes where I announce that I move on to do something different that people are like oh my goodness that's such a surprise we thought he would never leave we thought he was in it for life and so I just decided that's how I want that's how deeply invested I want to be but of course, that's not easy to do, but I think that's the goal that should be the North Star for all of us. So as you balance those opportunities that come your way, Clay, I mean, you mentioned that you you know, make sure that you run them by your boss and you vet them through him. Are there any other things you do with your own personal calendar, your own personal life that can create that balance as you weigh out those opportunities and still put the priority on North Point? For me, I have been trying lately to know exactly what's bothering my boss, to know exactly what's exciting my boss, to know exactly what's annoying my boss, and to to be actively trying to pursue those things. So when it comes to what he's really excited about, I'm trying to make that what I'm really excited about. And it, you know, it's uh, Andy Bernard on The Office, you know, he calls it personality mirroring. <laughs> and he's actually kind of manipulative kind of gross way. I don't think it has to be... I don't think it has to be manipulative. I mean, my role, I really see a lot of my role is to serve whatever's worrying my boss. I mean, that's, I really think about that as on my job description, that I should be worried about what's worrying my boss. So I really try to be aware of those things, of what is, what's, what's priority, what are you excited about, what are you worried about, and then, and then to try to take some of those off the plate, too. Um, I feel like on every one of our job descriptions should be managing the anxiety of our boss. Because what I found is when my boss knows that I'm worried about the thing that he's worried about, he's less worried about it. When And the same thing is true for the people that work for me. When I find out that somebody on our team here is not worried about the things that I'm worried about, that makes me worried more. Because now I'm going, wait a second, 
why does that not bother you that that volunteer just led that group in that way? That's what's most important. How could you not be bothered by that? Now I'm extra worried because you weren't even worried about that. But if I knew that you were already bothered by it and already working on it, then it gives me a little more sense of peace. So to your question, Leslie, I would just say figuring out what's figuring out what's what's on your boss's heart, what's mm-hmm. on your boss's mind, I think should be an active part of every one of our jobs. Hey Clay, a lot of people on our that are our listeners are leading teams, some of them large teams, some of them medium-sized teams, some of them small teams, some of them are leading teams of volunteers. What would you say to leaders who are listening right now about leading high-capacity people on their team? How can they do that well? Well, I think you got to begin with believing that everybody's a volunteer. Even if, whether they're getting paid or not, I think you got to treat people like they're a volunteer. And I, I, 20, 30, 40 years ago, I don't know that that was as big of a deal, but I just feel like I don't know if it's good, I don't know if it's bad, but something about our culture that we want to be led by people who lead through influence and not through authority, I think that's actually the way Jesus led. I mean, if you look at Philippians 2, the doxology that Paul wrote, you know, he says that Jesus didn't use what he could have used as something to be leveraged, but instead he poured out his authority. And so you see that in the way he treated the people around him. He did not demand that they followed him, but he invited them to follow him. And so I would say the same thing is true, whether you're leading a team of volunteers or whether you're leading a team of staff people, you've got to learn how to cultivate influence with them, um, which is why I think learning how to lead when you're not in charge is really the best way to learn how to lead, because if you can learn how to lead when you're not in charge, it will allow you to be a better leader when you are in charge, because the best kinds of leaders don't lead, they don't have to lead through authority, they lead through influence. And so I would I would say that actually the same is true, whether they are paid staff or whether they're volunteers. You've got to treat high capacity people like they're volunteers and you've got to learn how, you've got to learn systems of incentives. What motivates them? What are they looking for? And it's different for every person. And it's probably not all that different, Jimmy, than, you know, raising eight kids. I mean, every one of your kids is probably motivated (laughs) by something different. Some of them are motivated by relationships. Some of them are motivated by money. Some of them are motivated by opportunity. Some motivated by influence. Some motivated by responsibility. But you got to figure that out. And then you got to learn how to incentivize them to be able to, I love what Tom Landry says about leadership. He says, leadership's all about getting people to do what they don't want to do to accomplish what they know they want to accomplish. And that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to get people to, you know, we got a load in, load out team. They don't want to get there at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. Well, you got to figure out what it, what would incentivize them to be able to do that and then help motivate them toward that to be able to do what they don't want to do so that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. Well, Clay, it's been so great talking with you today. It always is. And look, our dads are brothers. We've grown up together our entire lives. And Clay, I have just such great admiration for you personally and great love for you as a, as a family member, but also as a friend. And I just commend Clay and his book to you. All of uh, Clay's preaching and teaching and the resources that he produces are excellent. And he's just an excellent person of character. So I commend Clay Scroggins to all the listeners at church for the rest of us. So Clay, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey, we know that North Point is a little bit larger than the church for the rest of us crowd, but the leadership principles we've talked about today definitely apply to a church of any size. It doesn't matter if you're leading a team of two or a team of 200, we all want to steward the influence that God has given us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or Check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, 
This is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.